Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. The first thing that I think we have to talk about is what happened on Instagram last night, which was our new biotype match game. Uh, we decided that we wanted to try something a little bit different on Instagram, and we wound up creating uh, some sort of, a, I'm not going to call it a dating game, but maybe like a relationship uh, compatibility game uh, where we brought someone on. And, uh, you know, we, we, the person that we did bring on this time we're, we're familiar with because, you know, they, they've done balancing your biotype, they've done intro to biotype. So we're familiar with not only them, but their journey, but Rodrigo really honed in on their past relationship patterns. And then we asked them, had anything shifted from, uh, since they did BYB in terms of what they're attracted to. And the interesting thing is that everyone that came on that had done BYB answered yes to that, which is fan. Fantastic. That's really cool. Yes, it is. So then uh, we proceeded to say, like, well, knowing where you, you know, your growth trajectory is going, what type of a person would actually be a good match in terms of biotype and personality. And then we like crowdsourced two people that wound <laughs> up knowing each other, which was weird, but to come on yeah. <laughs> and essentially, you know, Rodrigo would read them and then say what this relationship would look like. So we're going to be doing this again tonight. We're going to be doing this again in the future because, of course, this podcast episode will go up on, on Sunday. Uh, so you can watch the, the, the Biotype Match Game episodes uh, on Rodrigo's Instagram at RGP Development. So that was It's extremely fun. fun. Extremely fun. And I feel like it's also a great opportunity for people that already know about biotypes, like the people that are registered for this intro to biotypes this Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but when people already have like a grasp of it, and if you don't, don't worry, because we like you can hear the episode where we talk about the terms and we usually do a little overview so that if someone goes into the our, our game, our live game um, of, of creating couples, they can actually learn a lot of new information. But also the people that already went through biotypes and really understand and understand the, the interactions and compatibilities between them. We start explaining what could happen in our relationship between these two people with this biotypes and personalities, what they need to be extremely careful with and just becoming a successful possibility from the get go. So this is fun. Brian had a super fan in the audience, which was the best. <laughs> <laughs> Brian has a fan that will not stop until they meet him. I have you. Are you aware of this person, Brian? Only because you texted me okay. and said there's a person there. But they haven't like reached out you. to you directly? No. So um, <laughs> the, <laughs> we just got a comment on Instagram that says, uh, I'm trying to but did you let Brian know the thirst for him was real during the game? It was, it was <laughs> honestly, the audience component of it makes it so much fun because everyone, the comments are, are fan freaking tastic of people being like rooting on the contestant. We had the contestant's sister in the crowd who was just like, my sister's the best. It was fantastic. Um, I love yeah. when the sister started saying things like, she can't date anyone. She should be studying right now for her tests. And, and I was like, <laughs> okay, what is this? And then a, a minute after that, she was like, 
that's not true. I'm the one who should be studying for her tests. (laughs) (laughs) So we have relatives and friends just chipping in through the comment section, which is amazing. But Brian, you had questions about this as as we started texting about this last night. Why? What were my questions? Can I be a contestant? (laughs) Oh, no, I was joking. I don't want to do it. You- <laughs> I, was like, I was like, ha-ha, I should be a contestant. No, I don't. I don't want to be. Oh, well, well, I mean, well, I kind of do. Yeah. We're planning I feel like to do it's a crossing. second. I feel like... Be- we, we, we were going yeah, yeah. to do like a second show. Uh, that's going to be the exact same thing, but not someone from the audience. It's going to be called Finding Brian the Perfect Match. No, I don't like it. <laughs> I reject. I'm not going to... I feel like it's crossing some weird sort of boundary. I feel like this is for the listeners and the fans. I feel like I shouldn't be involved. And then we bring up people. Don't you feel like it's like a little bit like, you know, since I'm part of the RGP team and then we're bringing, I'm trying to find excuses. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to find, I was, I was about to say, uh, I'm, I'm we're, to just, letting, we're letting you go through this rabbit hole because melancholic excuses are always the best. I know. People sometimes just love watching me talk as I try to make excuses, and then I just sort of spiral out for five minutes, and they're like, are you done? I'm like, yeah, I think so. People on Instagram are saying you should do it. Well, if the people on Instagram think I should. (laughs) Um, But yesterday was really good. Guys, you need to go to my Instagram. If you're only listening to this, go to my Instagram in RGP development. Look for the first a biotype match game and and enjoy it because it was really fun. It's it was like a nice cap to like a weird month, I thought. Like like kind of this was your month off, Rodrigo, and it was really interesting to kind of just feel what came up when there was like not a lot of work. By the way, we need more time off for you simply because you're like I was thinking about something and I've realized and I'm like, you have this brand new theory and all we need to do is just give you pockets of space to kind of be alone. And you just start generating all this new information, which is so freaking cool. So uh, I, I, I have convinced yeah. myself that my time in the shower and my, my, my late nights thinking about stuff and researching stuff was good enough, but you gave me a couple of weeks off and it's true. I come back with no amazing theories and I'm excited about like testing them and teaching them. I like that you say I gave you like I have that much power. (laughs) There is something interesting about just the idea of starting a dating app that is bio biotypes. We've, we've talked about it and I know, yeah, I feel like last night was the first iteration of what that here's here's if I was on a dating app and I was was like, what are you looking for? Fake fires, sanguines, whatever. And then it's like the people who find me are the ones who checked melancholics and it's like, Oh, that's great. Like that's what, and here's what the questions would be. It wouldn't be like about yourself. It would say stuff like, um, what is your core belief about yourself? So like essentially your dating profile would be vaccinating the other people on the app about like your, your negative beliefs about yourself. So yes, give an example. So, um, I guess my, one of my my negative core beliefs is that like it's my fault. So like I tend to feel like things are my fault, um, which means that I really want to be with a person that won't blame me for shit. Like because if if I'm with somebody who blames me for stuff or like it's immediately like Ross, you fucked up. I'm going to agree with them, and it's going to be a real downward spiral for me. Of like like uh, um, I'm I'm doing the motion of whipping myself in the back. Self flagellation, I think, is the the <laughs> yes. term I'm looking for. So that's for. I think that's yes, level that's two of the dating app, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, 
but I think you would need to know your biotype because right now we we you know don't have the the AI photo analysis stuff which we would love to develop. So if you're interested in uh, AI yet. image developing, uh, reach out to us. We can work together. But we would, you, I think you'd be able to select your biotype, select your personality, um, maybe even the direction of what you're looking to grow. And then maybe we can come up with some sort of an mm. algorithm for like potential uh, bio. Because like yesterday we had Ross, two. Ross, wait, yeah. wait. You're seeing something mind-blowing. Like, okay. If, if they select their biotype and they're sure of it because they got diagnosed or they already went through intro to biotypes and they know their biotype and they know their personality, we could actually skip at least for the first stage of building the app. We could completely skip the face recognition thing and all of that because if people have that information, we could build the whole thing about the trajectories and finding someone that becomes a positive reference for you because they actually will kind of guide you to through becoming the type of person that you need to be in order to balance your biotype. Oh my God, we're going to change the world. Yeah, I, I think it's just about like, you know, I'm thinking about how much I want to say on the podcast about what we've already done in terms of freeing up our time to to bring this to the next level. But um, we've Not got yet. we've got things <laughs> in the pipeline. I'll just say it that way so that I don't you know do anything about my own brain. But anyway, uh, we've got some stuff in the pipeline <laughs> that should free us up to really expand what we're doing. Uh, but it, it's know that we're thinking about it. Know that we really want to do it. Um, and we're yes, Camelia has written. I thought. We decided dating apps are awful for people. That's true, except for the biotyping app. And then I know, and we didn't say says, that. I, like we were, we were proposing that idea, but in the end of that episode, we actually said that people will use whatever platform with whatever shitty way of being they have. So if you always pick up the worst people for the worst type of relationship, like dating apps will just allow you to pick from a from a pool of more people and find the You'll exact You'll do it at bars thing. or at dating apps. Exactly, exactly. Like if you're good at choosing people, you're going to be good in dating apps or in life. If you're horrible at choosing people, which most people are, you're going to be horrible at choosing people from a wide pool of people in dating apps. Right, right. Well, we'll keep we'll keep practicing it on the Instagram live and and I, the response was fantastic. People were like this should be a show like I loved how much the audience was into it and it was really it was really fun like I felt like we really used the platform in a very unique way with like the 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 whispers and all that stuff but anyway you guys if you haven't watched it (laughs) if this hasn't been a big enough plug go watch it it was amazing um let's dive into some of these awesome listener questions that we have uh and we absolutely have a uh, a great one to kick it off from Igor. Igor, our top number one patron, my friend, would you like to have me read your question or would you like to come on and ask it yourself? Do, 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 People do, are asking do, on Instagram do. if they can be the next contestant. Yeah, today. if they go to your story, there's a submission form to be the next contestant. Nice. Yeah. We have submission forms? That's amazing. I mean, we have a, a question form that people can be like, pick me, here's why. So, yes. That's amazing. All right. Is Igor on the... Uh, he is. All right. I'm just going to read his question. If he wants yeah, to come I on and talk, he can. Okay. Um, how can we support different biotypes to help them realize themselves and get rid of their different mental blocks, and how do we apply it to ourselves? 
Actually, I'm going to jump to the second part of this first because it's actually a great question. He goes, <laughs> why can't I find the biotype of my girlfriend? I can read others around me pretty easily, but I have a hard time doing so when it comes to her. Oh, I, my I friend, I, Igor. Like, go, go, go for it, Brian. I mean, I might be wrong, but I feel like sometimes it's easier to tell people that we don't know well because the people that we know super well, we have all of these we know too much. Like, you know, so much about their personality and so much of their complexities that that kind of like takes away, it sort of shifts you away from their actual biotype because you're like adding in all these other details and not just looking at them as a, as a physical shape because you just like want to believe other parts of them. It's that's absolutely true. Like you're, you're exactly on point, Brian, because the big problem is that when we're trying to read someone's biotype, we're just looking at their body. But when we're thinking of people that we know and love and that are usually close to us, we have so much information about them, so many experiences with them, and we know so much about their personality that the closer someone is to you, the harder it, the harder it usually is to to diagnose their their biotype because you forget about the the shape of their jaw and the size of their hands and and how their knees and joints look like and like so many obvious traits about their eyes and their face and and then you start remembering more of their personality traits than paying attention on their biotype so take it from me i had my knees misdiagnosed like for 10 years uh because i was too close and then my wife was learning about biotypes and she was like no you're wrong she's a sanguine and and i couldn't see it before so yeah usually the people closest to us because of all the information love and interactions that we've had with them we start trying to diagnose their personality and not their biotype and we get really confused because of it Diagnosing someone's biotype is about learning all of the features from every biotype and just paying attention to their body. And then you pay attention to their personality. And then you can do magic with those two pieces of information. <laughs> and come to do uh, the intro to biotypes so you can learn what we're talking about. Uh, all right. The first part of that question, which is now the second part of that question, is how can we support different biotypes to help them realize themselves and get rid of their different mental block? And how do we apply it to ourselves? Is that a clear question? Uh, sort of, but it, I feel like the answer is an hour long. Let's break it down a little bit. Let's go okay. through it again. Okay. So how can we support different biotypes to help them realize themselves and get rid of their different mental blocks? Yeah, I, I, well, feel like, the, the, I feel like there's a real question underneath this question. Yes, there is. It's, it's a melancholic way of asking a really broad question so that you give me the actual piece of information that I'm looking for. Yeah, without but having the first to be vulnerable thing that we need to, and ask what they really want. Exactly. Yeah. But the first thing that we need to break down is, to begin with, not every biotype has mental blockages. That, that, that question was obviously written by a melancholic that we love. But... Um, not every biotype has mental blockages and what blocks us is very different. So yes, melancholics usually have a mental blockage, but for phlegmatics, it actually has to do with something different. So let's go through them because it's not mental blockages, but I think this is a really important and interesting question to start talking a little bit, just a little bit about the things that, for example, the people going through the certification training are learning about how to connect and support every biotype in very different ways. So 
With a choleric, usually the blockage has to do with their understanding of their ability to create results and if they feel like they're becoming the human being that they were born to be or not. So with clerics, supporting them many times has to do with understanding the self-image that they created about themselves and who they should be because they're usually judging them through that image. If they if they haven't turned into the choleric, result-driven, powerful choleric that they wanted to be all along, then they're going to start judging themselves even if the, what they have created is amazing for everyone else. So with choleric, step one is realizing the image of the type of human being that they think they should have become and how they're judging themselves for not being that. Now, moving on with sanguines, and I, I don't want to give too much here because this is very profound and important information, but with, with sanguines, is we've been realizing a lot lately that supporting them has to do with knowing that there is a void of meaning in their head that they don't have a head blockage. They have a head emptiness. And that's why they come across as dumb sometimes. We do. Uh, because we're not really sure about anything. So we can't block ourselves intellectually. But but we get stuck in shame. And I think this is something brand new that we're bringing to the podcast. But I think it's important. Uh, sanguines get stuck in shame because they're not being able to create the experience that they want to create with the people around them. So sanguines can go into shame, embarrassment, and even a little bit of emotional depression because they feel like they're not bringing to the world the experiences that they should be bringing. And then they start feeling embarrassed and ashamed of who they are. And then they stop trusting their intellect and their abilities because they're not becoming the, the human being they think they should be. Okay, real quick. And the sanguine yeah. that's freaking out in the comments, I want you to come on microphone and say what's going on with you right now. I know, I'm loving watching this. <laughs> sanguine, can well, you come people, on mic? People on Instagram won't be able to hear him. Uh, that's fine. They can go over to patreon.com slash RGP development and join the Zoom call. But, but Give like a little bit of a, just sort of explain yeah. to people on Instagram what Charlie says. Yeah. Um, he, he just commented, yeah, yeah, we can hear you. What What's going on with you right now? No, it's I just feel like that that is what Ro would have said if I like sat down in a session and just described my life. <laughs> and What Charlie's and, saying is that that's exactly what I would have told him in the session. And that's absolutely true, Charlie. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, wait, so that's just that's just built into the firmware. Yeah. Why is there an ambulance where you are, Charlie? Uh, because I'm so embarrassed. I called the police. <laughs> <laughs> we could hear an ambulance. A funny joke Charlie. was just said. Yes, and and I said, <laughs> no, don't tell them. Only the patrons. Okay. <laughs> okay, I wanted to share with you guys, but yeah, okay. So, Charlie, that's true. And and honestly, my friend, not only am I saying this about all sanguines, I had this breakthrough myself recently that. I learned psychology to understand other people because it doesn't really apply to how we work. I don't think sanguines create that many beliefs, but it's an important point so that you can support one if if you're trying to support them. Don't ask them for their beliefs because they'll make them up for you. Uh, but you can ask them about the emptiness and, and shame that they feel. I, I don't think any biotype feels shame the way a sanguine can feel shame. Uh, it's like the gift and also the curse of sanguineness. Everybody's thriving to be present. No one is as present as a sanguine. But then sanguines feel the shame and the loneliness of being in the present moment and having no meaning about it. Oh, wow. Then, yeah. It's, yeah, okay. 
I, Welcome right, to the things I notice when they give me time off. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I was I I'm just now grappling with the idea of Sanguine's feeling so much shame, and I'm I think I understand what you're saying, Ro. But it's like in my head, I can imagine a Sanguine looking kind of lost in like a group or not really knowing what to do, and I can like see the like like the weight on them in a way that it doesn't happen to anyone else. Like I know, I kind of know what it looks like the way you're describing it. And it's like, horrible because I've been there. I've been that sanguine and I've been that yeah. sanguine in the group, just sitting down saying, I don't think I'm creating what I should create. And this is not the experience that I was looking for. And then we start feeling embarrassed and like we make people uncomfortable and that people are thinking that we're stupid and we have no idea what to do because we're judging ourselves. The other sanguine in the chat is is just like, dude, this is hitting home in such a big way for the the sanguine patrons that I see right now. I wish we had talked about this with Megan last week. I feel like she would have had a lot to last week. I hadn't realized it. Right, right. Well, <laughs> have your epiphany sooner, Rodrigo. Yeah. <laughs> I need more time off, Ross. <laughs> yeah, clearly. No, like the the the, the coaches and, and patients that I have in Mexico that I saw and, and and the last few days that I started working again were like, don't ever disappear for that long. Don't you ever disappear for that long again. Like I went through this and that and I had no idea. And I was like, okay, calm down. Let's break it down a little bit. It was fun. Um, then okay. if you want to, to support a phlegmatic, and I think we've gone deeper into this because we really understand phlegmatics in, a, in an amazing way. I feel like we've had... Uh, in RGP development and all of us, like a really deep understanding and compassion towards phlegmatics because they're obviously the ones that that have been like pure phlegmatics are the ones that have been hit by society in the hardest way and and whose core and whose whose core way of acting and 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 connecting to the world is is probably the one that's most challenged in society today. So we kind of understand how to support them, and I think this is easy and also very loving that phlegmatics phlegmatics create emotional meaning so again it's not their head but it's it's their emotions and once they get stuck in in an emotional certainty i've never used this term before but i like it in, in an emotional certainty like uh friends of mine that once they decide that this relationship is really over or this relationship will never be what I thought it would be. And I will never feel as loved as I thought I would. That's when they go down this horrible emotional depression and an emotional rabbit hole that can usually last between a week and a year, uh, depending on, on how savvy their friends around them are to push them through their emotions. Now, there's a distinction here. When you're, when you're trying to support a melancholic or, or any other biotype, I think you need to get them out of the process where they're in. Like for a choleric, as I just described, you need to get them out of that process of judging themselves for not being the choleric man they should, they, they thought they should be. In the case of a sanguine, it's about bringing them out of, of that, um, shame and embarrassment. But in the case of phlegmatics, that doesn't work. If you want to support a phlegmatic friend that has an emotional about something being wrong that they can't they can't shake off it's not about getting them out of it because that's going to feel like avoidance and it's going to make them feel worse you need to push them through you you, need, you actually need to make them go see it and notice it and and have the conversations that's why i send so many phlegmatics to have conversations with their parents and with their ex relationships and and with their ex spouse like i do that so much because you can't shake off an emotion until you see it through and that 
that's why I supported Ross in his process in the last few weeks too. <laughs> what process was this, Ross? Which which one? I mean, like this. Ross process. is shaking his head and turning red. And because I'm clear, it's, um, it's that I saying, "Oh my God, me, yes," and my partner doesn't get it. Yeah, most people don't get that. Only phlegmatics do you push them through. Because if you push any other biotype through, you can actually hurt them. But with phlegmatics, pushing them through is part of is part of their healthy process. Bonkers. Yeah, that was good. Did you did you do melancholics? No, and then finally melancholics. Is about, believe it or not, just distracting them because they get into an intellectual loop and they don't know how to get out of it. So that's why they love sanguine friends, because a sanguine friend is so outrageous and reckless that they can't carry on in their loop. This is why Brian enjoys her company, because of Ross' uh, emotions and my recklessness and Taco Bell. It's, it's so true it's so reckless like when i get like in a, in a loop like for example you said like, you I'm, said it's I'm, so true and dan in the chat said it's so true exactly at the same time <laughs> it's all i want is like a big fun dumb person to just like go do stuff with me because it's just like it makes me feel uh great like for example when i get stuck in a loop let, let's say and i'm sorry for using the word dumb it's rodrigo's word so i just did uh, he just call me dumb uh but Yes. Uh, so whenever I'm like stuck in a, like, like I'm a hypochondriac. I hate it. I always get stuck in this loop of I'm dying because of this and I'll get, I'll literally just, I can't get out of it. And then I'll tell a sanguine friend, they'll be like, huh? No, you're not. Who cares? Hey, look, let's go over there. And I'll be like, okay. Like, it's just, that's all I need. It's like that's someone exactly just be like, say. yeah, it's amazing. And I'm like, how do you not think about that over and over again, but you don't. So, wow, I want some of that. And it's just, it's, it makes me feel so good to like be with someone who's just like pushed aside and just wants to go to something else. I want to say that sanguines and melancholics have like a gift and a burden in opposite ways. So melancholics have so many beliefs and so much meaning towards life that they get stuck in it. And then they can't interact with life if it if it doesn't look the way it should. And they can't interact with people if they do something that according to their meanings is out of integrity or out of out of like a human standpoint. Uh, and they're like thriving. They're like they they not thriving. They they're they're yearning to to really be as present as sanguines. And then sanguines are the absolute opposite. Everybody it wants to be present and woke and and in the moment and mindful and and not thinking about the past and the future. Uh, welcome to the sanguine brain. That's exactly how we feel. We're absolutely present all the time and that's why we we can connect to people. I've talking about this with Shaman Durek many times. This is why we can connect to people the way we can connect to them because we're fully present. But then what we're lacking and suffering for is we we don't usually remember important stuff and we don't have enough meanings to take care of ourselves and others and that's why we can be very reckless. So we we both have a gift and a curse. Yeah. It's so, after talking about this, I'm realizing like the things we teach people and why we teach them should totally be changed like because of biotypes. For example, like when you teach someone meditation, right? A teacher who is melancholic will be like, the reason you use meditation is this, to get out of the loop in your head, let's say, which is why I started meditation. And it's like, if you're melancholic and don't know about biotypes, you just think that's the truth of why you need to use it. Yeah. But a sanguine needs to, I don't know, they could probably benefit from meditation, but to calm down in a very different way than like getting out of the loop in your head. And that's true for like all practices in life. Like the, the reasons why we 
each need them or don't need them is different for each biotype, which is just something that's like, it's just so interesting because for so long I thought that like, oh, you should do yoga because of this one thing. And it's like, well, maybe if you're this biotype, that could be very important. But if you're this biotype, you need to do it because of this other thing, which isn't, doesn't relate to this at all. It's just, it's just fun to kind of start picking that apart. By the way, I just want to reference a comment on Instagram because I, I love it by Lena. Uh, because <laughs> because if, you, if you wake up with phlegmatics, it feels like this. Like if you have a phlegmatic in, in, in your family, this is very common. She says, I wake up and my husband tells me, what's wrong? And I say, I'm worried about humanity. Oh, God, that's been my past couple months. I know, that's Ross too. <laughs> yeah. I want like, Ross oh, to admit it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I'm so worried about humanity. Uh, there, there, I <laughs> wanted to ask. I wake up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You wake up. Doo, 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 and then you're like, oh, I, exactly. I yeah. wake up and I'm thinking about a new physics system. I wake up. Yeah. And planets. I wake up feeling worried about this mole. I mean, that's where I'm worried. <laughs> I, I wake up it. feeling the emotions that I've just been through in a dream. Like if, if I had a dream and I was like in some sort of a situation in my dream and I come out of it, I feel like I've just been through it. Like never, ever, ever experienced that in my life. It's I mean, believe me when it's it weighs heavily more heavily when it's a bad dream. Actually, last night, my dream was about the city of San Francisco going underwater and there was like literal waves coming and I was like scaling buildings to try and keep out of the water. And you're like, just go to higher ground. That's kind of what your advice was in my dream, bro. You're like, yeah, just don't don't be near the water. I was water. about to tell you. Yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, just don't hang out where the, the water is coming. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, the I don't think we went over firewaters in this dynamic. Is that similar to cholerics? Oh, I mean, with you're right. Okay, like with with firewaters, um, it's. It's like a blend of, of what you would do with a sanguine and a choleric. So you would, like, I'm literally teaching you how to coach biotypes, but um, <laughs> with, with a fire water, it's a two-step two process because you need to start treating them as a choleric at the beginning because they're judging themselves about results. But then you, you will find the emptiness of a sanguine afterwards because fire waters do not fall in love with meaning like a melancholic or even a choleric would do a little bit. So it's like... Stop judging yourself for not being the human being that you think you should be, and then and then start creating content about about who they are, so that they're. I, I was just having a, a session before this with a with a controlling melancholic that I love very much, and controlling melancholics are very similar to 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 firewater women. So first, you need to break through the personality, that part of the controlling self that's judging themselves, and then creating meaning from inside of them, like like. Um, the emptiness of the sanguine makes them look for who they are in the external world. And, and firewaters kind of do the same. And the, it's about creating meaning inside of them about who they are that they're extremely comfortable with uh, so that they don't look in the external world for who they are because if not, they're going to start feeling embarrassment again. And with with fake fires, it's just about making them drop into their water, which is something we do beautifully well. And we even have a, fi a, a fake fire support group if you guys need it. Yeah, <laughs> that's coming. <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, this one is interesting because I don't fully understand it, but I think uh, you will because it's in Spanish. Uh, okay. Ana wants to know how to destroy the hora de muerte mindset 
and how does each biotype feel, react, and cope with stress? We kind of went over the feel, react, and cope with stress part of it. Yeah. But what's but, the order de muerte? Yeah. Is that like That's the, the time hour? of death. Is there a mindset around called the, the order de muerte mindset? I, ha I haven't heard of that. Not in Spanish. Uh, like I haven't heard the concept hora de muerte. I'm just translating it. Hora de muerte sounds, sounds like translating time of death, literally. Um, but I don't know if she means like a melancholic mindset in which their hypochondriacs always thinking that they're going to die. Is that what she means? I think, yeah. I mean, we kind Let's of... Let's get out of that. How do, you, how do you get out of that thing? Yeah. <laughs> you die. What? <laughs> <laughs> Until then, is there, a, is there any hope to... Not counting down the days. Well, it does remind me of like the existential fear that like we were just talking about. Like that 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 was what my assumption was. Like that it's it's there's a Roser complimenting you on I your know, I saw it. I got a little distracted. Instagram. Yeah. Hora <laughs> de muerte. Hora de muerte. Yeah. Hora de muerte. I got it too. Brian, you've already got your thirst trap. Um I uh uh yeah, but I was thinking like it was something around the lines of like how do you how do you essentially like existentialism either of a, a species our species or of yourself, um, but like coming to terms with mortality is kind of the thought that I was thinking. I'm I'm thinking of how like I'm not addressing the point directly because that's 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 an important conversation, but I think I can give you a little. Um, yeah, like 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 a little aspirin for that, talking about something else. So it's it's exactly the same as relationships. People can't be present in relationships because they're afraid of it, of them ending. They're afraid of not being good enough. They're afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Or they're afraid of of them meeting, meeting someone else uh, or falling out of love with you. And be, feeling like that doesn't allow you to be present in life, doesn't allow you to be present in the relationship. So in systemic psychology, we say that the only way to be fully present and enjoying a relationship is by entering the relationship, as I have said in the past, knowing that the relationship will end, knowing that this will not be forever. One of you will die. You will go out of love. Like you will run out of love. You will, you will, you will, you will fall out of love and, and it will just stop working at some point. That's the only honest truth that you can walk into our relationship with. This is going to end at some point. And that's why you make the mess of it and become someone who's fully present in the relationship. Being afraid of death is the exact same thing. And being afraid of getting sick and dying, uh, then, will not allow you to be fully present. The only way to enjoy life is, is to know that it is going to end. And that's why today is so important. That's why we started saying things like carpe diem, seize the day, and, and, and this is the last day of your life. We start giving those concepts to people so that they calm down with the idea of death and stop wasting their lives right here, right now. I would say phlegmatics and... Melancholics are Melancholics. probably the ones that deal with that the most. 100%. Cholerics are too driven to results to pay attention to shit like that. And sanguines are just here and now. Uh, Lorena asks, is this why some people right. fall in love so fast? I'm talking about two weeks talking to someone, met their best friend for life or the yes. people they want to marry. That's a great question. I know some people that are in and out of relationships. Like when I get out of a relationship, I'm like, oh, good. You'll be single for years with me. And then they're in a new relationship so quickly. Like they're, they fall in love so fast. 
I'm intrigued by this question. Well, they're they're probably codependent, and they like, for example, there's a lot of sanguines like that because because their existence is is so validated by everything that's external that I need a mirror around me. Like I need someone tell me that who I am works, that who I am. Oh, I'm having another breakthrough about sanguines. Yes, um, but what I'm what I'm thinking is. This is why no one really expects how painful it can be for a sanguine to be judged by someone they love. Because if my image is created by, by the external opinions of who I am and someone that I've given the power to tell me who I am as a sanguine tells me that something's wrong about me, they're literally telling us that our existence is not worth it. Oh my God, I need to talk to my wife. <laughs> do you want to write it down because i feel like if uh we get off this like it's recorded it's in okay. front of you do you listen back do you even, of do either do. of you listen back to the podcast i do i did with like episode one and two yeah but i have not since oh I, I don't i don't do it with all of them but every once in a while like every month or so i go back and i listen like what i did with with uh um with jimena's episode yeah I, I I can't listen to myself, um, but good for you Wait, guys. So this is, I wonder if like, do you find that, um, is there a pattern of people being single or falling into a relationship that you see often within biotypes? And what I mean that I'm doing that thing on melancholic where I'm asking a broad question where I really have a specific one about me. Which is, like, <laughs> being, being single so much, is that like, a more common thing for a melancholic because we don't trust people as often. And like there, we do have like kind of a loner sort of thing where we, it, I, I kind of enjoy sort of like being on my own and not wanting other people. Like, I can answer the question about you. Yeah. Talk about me. So the, the thing is this, most melancholics fall in love because they meet someone that can bring the risk, recklessness and excitement that they can't create themselves. You create that for yourself. And we've talked about this yes. in the past a little bit. And this is very similar to what I told Michael Butley. Like, who could ever bring you an experience better than the experience that your personality creates for yourself? Right, right. Yes. So you've created a personality that gets you out of that melancholic space where you would like want to die just overthinking stuff, a Bo Burnham style in your house logged in for a year. But since you can actually create the, with your promoting personality, uh, what's needed in relationships and adventure and recklessness, like unless you met someone like MacGyver or someone like that, who could bring more excitement than yourself to your life and more distraction for your melancholic brain than you? Yeah, it's good. That's a good answer. Yeah, I think what I was looking for is an answer <laughs> saying, oh, yeah, melancholics do have a tough time being in relationships. So it's not your fault, Brian. It's your biotype. I was looking oh, no, no, for no. This, this is your fault. Okay, got it. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's go on to the next question. Uh all the sanguines on Instagram are saying that that their husbands, their wives, or their mothers need to listen to this episode. Yeah, for real. <laughs> we need sanguine school. Um, True. By the way, we're putting something together. Uh, it, it's not officially announced yet, but if you are interested in pr a, a private-ish session with Rodrigo, we are starting something that is going to allow for uh, people to come together in group settings. Again, it won't be publicly broadcast, but you could uh, ask Rodrigo whatever you want. It's going to be called Ask Rodrigo, and we'll be announcing and posting about it soon. So if you guys are like, 
I want help with a very specific thing and I don't want it to be out on the podcast. Uh, we're creating a space for that for you guys. And if you also want more than an answer, that's a soundbite that can help you a little bit, but actually do the profound work. Also knowing that that my schedule is very crazy and I know that some of they, they were even mentioning it on, on the comment section that, that I know that a session with me can, can look a little bit expensive. Uh, if, if you're thinking that you would love to have a space almost like a private session, but with a group of people, a small groups of, of people that, that really want to go deep into certain things where I can give feedback to, to the group. I love working in group settings and it's way cheaper than paying for a session with me. And if you do just want a one-on-one uh, and you're ready to make that investment, then the link to schedule a one-on-one with Rodrigo is at rgpdevelopment.com as well as, uh, and there's a link in his uh, his Instagram bio. Uh, and nothing right. beats that. That's true. That is, th- those are, I mean, people need like six tops and then they're on their way. Um, if I can't fix you in six, I can't fix you at all. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't mean that you can't have more than six, though. All right, so let's True. go. Uh, I'm, I'm scanning the questions. <laughs> I'm going to ask this one because I think, again, there's something underneath this one. Charlie asks, how do panic attacks work and how do they affect each biotype? Ooh, interesting. Aha. Uh-huh. Sorry, I was, I was reading the comments again. <laughs> Charlie, being Charlie, do you want to come on microphone or on camera and actually uh, ask this question? And I love that there's a melancholic in the chat it. going. Can you, do, yeah. can you do Instagram? Can he go on Instagram as well? Well, yeah. just so people can hear. What's his handle? Right. If he's an, is it Dan? No, no, no. DJ Rat Lady. Okay. DJ Rat Lady. I know. Charlie, Charlie makes me DJ. laugh so hard. This is interesting because I had a panic attack. Char- Charlie, you're going to have to do ago. both, though. You're going to have to go on Instagram and on the Zoom. I already invited him. There he Perfect. is. Hey, Charlie, to the Mahalo. Instagrammers. This is one of our patrons, Charlie, and our podcast editor, Charlie. Okay, so, I mean, I've never had a panic attack, but it's I've heard of several friends of mine having panic attacks and um, just hearing that Bo Burnham's career got derailed because of panic attacks, I was like, okay, so what's that about? Because before I was like, is that just being very anxious? And then it was described to me as this actual like, like it's not just a mental thing. Like you have physical symptoms of, of, of like a trauma. Yeah, it feels like you're dying. Like you're having a heart attack and you're dying literally. Yeah. And, and I was wondering, uh, you know, my mechanical sanguine brain was like, well, there has to be a reason for that. Like it might not be as... Direct as, oh, I felt, I, I smelled my dad's old cologne and I started freaking out because I thought I was going to get yelled at. But I was listening to some friends and they're like, it's completely random and I don't know what causes it. So I was wondering, like, is that is that just the brain going haywire for no reason? Or, Ro, in your your perspective, is it is it random or is it related to, like, some kind of, like, subconscious trigger that you might not even be aware of? 
That that's exactly it. It it usually has to do with our brain is always comparing the present with past events to know how to react. That's why we're addicted to control. Because if I understand the moment where I'm in, if I understand what's happening, who you are, and 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 what everything means right now, then I know how to react. I know who to be. If we're always comparing with the past, and suddenly we see something in front of us that triggers a memory from the past that hasn't been emotionally cleaned, and I still have a lot of baggage towards that, and especially if I'm melancholic, because melancholics are the most prone to panic attacks in the world. Um, it triggers a feeling, I go into a loop, and that loop doesn't have an answer. So I keep going round and round, and I don't understand what's happening. It's probably because of this. I'm feeling like I'm feeling horribly about this. I don't know how to react. I don't know who to be right now. Is this going to be like that one last time when I was a kid? Is it going to feel the same? Is, is, is my whole world going to explode exactly how I felt when I was seven with my dad, blah, 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 and suddenly you're in the middle of a panic attack. It's being... It's, let me put it this way. Do you remember what the word crisis means? The word crisis comes from Mandarin kiki. That means both uh, danger and opportunity. Uh, so crisis, uh, literally, are two ideograms. Even in Japanese, how I learned it, is, is two ideograms. One of them means danger. The other one means opportunity. When people see the opportunity in the middle of a crisis, that's why even in economics we say, in, econ yeah, in, in, in economical studies, we say that um, the, the biggest fortunes in the world are created in the middle of a crisis because everybody was seeing danger and then one person saw opportunity and they created something amazing, like the people that became rich in the middle of the pandemic, selling masks or something like that, that's seeing the opportunity in the middle of danger. The problem is when, when, when people that are very headsy, melancholics, or people that have analyzing personalities from other biotypes, they, they're faced with a situation like this. They see the danger, but they can't see the possibility. They can't see the opportunity. They can't see the way out. And for, for some people, getting into that danger without seeing any way out and any door and any way of being that can allow them to survive the situation, and the only memory of this is that they got lost for months or even a year into the situation, makes the anxiety go crazy, and then the body starts reacting like, I don't want to live. And it has to do with the sympathetic system, and it has to do with the limbic system, but then you like your nervous system starts telling your body that something's not okay to the point that your body starts reacting like something's really not okay. So you're breathing, your heartbeat, you're sweating, your temperature, like everything starts changing and people are convinced that they're dying, convinced. Like a, a big percentage of the people that go to the hospital thinking that they're having a heart attack are actually just having a panic attack. Yeah. When I had mine in the, like it was a bright, sunny morning on a Sunday in Brooklyn. Like there was nothing stressful in the environment at all. But I was just sort of walking like down the street. And I just was like thinking about, I, I was like a little bit hungover and I was a little bit like ashamed of a, like I think a hookup I had just had. And then like, I was like, I'm going to go write. But then I was like, but what am I writing for? Like I, I didn't have a job at the time. And I just sort of like, I remember just walking down the street and I felt so lost in my life. Like I felt like I was just all the structure that I had in my life was just in an instant, like gone. And I could see that it was gone. And then I couldn't breathe. Like, or I could, like, I'm like, I know the mechanism of my breath is working, but I feel like I can't. And then I just like, I sat down on the sidewalk. Like I just sat down for like two hours. because I couldn't stand And like life felt, it felt so, I felt like I was dying. Cause I didn't know what it, it was like, I was on shrooms or something like the way mm -hmm. people moved and spoke. I was like, your, my brain was just operating on this different level and I couldn't, I couldn't like 
stand up. I, I tried to get across the street to this bench and it took me like an hour to like get the confidence to stand up and like get across the street with my legs shaking. And it was like, it was so scary. It was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. But I definitely was like, is this dying? I don't understand what is happening to my body because I'm in, it's doing things it's never done before. The sensation is very similar to, to having an opioid overdose. Like if you have an opioid overdose and, and I don't mean like the actual overdose when you're not like, you're not conscious anymore. I mean like in that threshold where you're about to, to go into a dangerous place with opioids. And this is why they're creating synthetic opioids that have a ceiling effect and they can't kill you. Uh, but when you get to that threshold, your body seems to be shutting down, but your brain isn't present enough or understanding the situation enough to, to know exactly what's happening. Like I've dealt with, with people that are going through this a lot and it feels like a surrender towards death. Like, correct me if I'm wrong about this, Brian, but it doesn't feel like a choice of dying and, and it doesn't feel like you can get like snap out of it. It feels like, I don't know what's happening and I think this is it and I think I'm probably going to die and there's nothing I can do about it and there's an anxiety, but also surrender about it, which is like what, like I've never had a panic attack, but from what I've heard, uh, it feels like the most, um, like, how, how do you say impotente? Like you feel absolutely powerless just observing Impotent. this process that's taking yes. your di your life. That's why I said it's kind of like going on shrooms or yeah. like having a drug trip. It's like, oh, it's taking over and you're, you're done. You can't think your way out of it. It's doing it and it, like you... You, yeah, you have to surrender to it, but you don't want to. And fighting it makes you more scared, obviously, because you're just like, you know, and then you're like completely out of control. And you're, that's even more terrifying to try to fight something instead of just like relaxing into it, knowing you have a panic attack and grounding yourself, which is what you're supposed to do. That's absolutely true. During your panic attack, the thoughts you were thinking right before it, do you feel like those were related to like some core belief or trauma thing? Or was it... <laughs> I think they, they must have, I, it, it sort of, yeah. I, Cause I remember like sort of spinning out before it happened, feeling like completely, like I said, like, like lost in, in my life. Like I just didn't have a direction in any way. And then that panic attack happened. So I think those two must be linked like that. That had to have some sort of. See, it's crisis without the, without the, the, the possibility or opportunity. It's just, yeah, I think I, yeah, I think I, I didn't know how to get out of it. I was like, mm -hmm. Oh, here I am just going to go right again. Like I do every day. And what is it? And is this really going to make me get me out of this? Oh, I don't think it actually will. Like maybe I like really bought into the belief that nothing, I was just treading water in my yeah. life and there was no way out of it. And then that, I don't know, that sort of led to what happened. It's usually Charlie, when, when something is in front of you, like how your life is unfolding in front of you seems like the worst case scenario that you've been thinking about for years. And as a melancholic, you've been thinking about possibilities for years. And suddenly when your life is looking like the worst case scenario that you've thought of, it feels like the end. Mm. Yeah. And as sanguines, it's pretty fun because we get like 1% of that. We go like, Oh my God, my life is fucked. There's nothing I can do. Oh, look, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing about being a sanguine amazing thing uh dan signs just asked a really good question on instagram too he says that does a realization of sanguines uh, being deeply affected by the people they love uh, uh criticism also apply to clerics that used to be promoters and stop him from achieving great things 
Yes, because promoters, as sanguines, start building their self-image with the reactions of the people around them. So if a choleric becomes a promoting choleric, yes, it wouldn't affect them as deeply because he has a little bit more meaning. But instead of affecting him and going into shame, he'll probably go into embarrassment a little bit and then into anger. And that will make him lose sight of what he really wants and act a little bit like a fake fire who's hostile towards the people around him instead of completely focused into the results he wants to create like any other choleric. Good question. Charlie, do we fully answer your question? Can we move on to the next one? Or is there anything else that you had around that? I guess the um, main thing is just the distinction between like being aware of the thoughts you're thinking when it happens versus being blindsided by it. But I guess what you're saying is you wouldn't actually really be blindsided by it. You just might not know that that's what you've been thinking. And at the same time, Charlie, it will never happen to you. So don't worry. <laughs> I just want to know what to do when it happens to my friends. When it happens to your friends, you need to distract them and present them with possibilities of, of, of getting out of that. And they won't believe you at the beginning, but in a sanguine way, you keep joking about it and saying, but you could be this, you could be that. Like I've, I've, I've got, I've stopped people in, in the middle of, of a panic attack and trainings and in, in the past years ago, I had this Chilean guy that had panic attacks like every week and no one told me. And he went into my, one of my trainings and he was a melancholic guy and he was having this massive panic attack and and, and literally, I stood in front of him and I was like, I wish I could record you. This is so interesting. You'd be fascinating looking at you. This is almost funny. Like investigators would love seeing this. What are you talking about? This is so cool. Tell us about this experience. This is so fun. Everybody watch. Like, tell us about it. We want to find out about it. And then the, the guy just snapped out of it because the attention was so external that, that he couldn't go inside himself anymore. That makes so much sense. When I'm in any kind of loop, if someone starts making fun of it or yeah. like just dismissing it like it's ridiculous, it gets me out of my head, like for sure. I'm also thinking That's about true. Uh, the the Tony Robbins movie, the I'm Not Your Guru. I think there's even like a clip of this online that went around. That's like Tony Robbins helps a, a guy that's suicidal. He does this thing like in the middle of it, he goes, what are you upset about? And the guy goes into his head. I'm thinking now it's a melancholic guy. But he mm -hmm. goes into his head, and then Tony's like, is it that your shoes are so fucking dumb? Or something like that. Like, he, like, <laughs> makes fun of the guy's shoes, and then the guy looks down, and he kind of smiles a little bit. And Tony's like, what do you, don't smile, you're suicidal, remember? Like, he's, like, kind of poking fun at this guy. Like, you can't smile right now, you're going to kill yourself. Why are you smiling, you know? So, kind of, like, poking fun at it. And I think Tony's, what is he? He's it makes sense. with a little bit of sanguine. This is, I mean, he is like 99% cleric with one, 2% sanguine. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's, um, yeah, that your shoes are fucking red. Chris just gave me the quote on, on Instagram. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you want to kind of see it in action, there's, there's a Tony Robbins clip from that film. If you guys are curious about it. All right, Charlie, thank you for the question, my friend. Uh, Ro, do you want to remove him from the Instagram and I'll pull up another question. Ross uh, taught me how to remove people from the lives, so I'm excited. We love you, Charlie. Control. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, guys. All right. Here we go. This question is from Lorena, and this is a very interesting question. Can you talk a little bit about trauma bonds, the level two relationships, codependent relationships, and attachment styles and dynamics? For example, like push-pull, anxious-avoidant, pursuer-withdrawer. And why do these relationships happen, and where do they come from? This is a big, all, this it's is a a big very question. big question. So, so first, let's talk a little bit about level two relationships. 
so that people kind of have the context for that. Well, Um, that's the main thing because everything else is just different terms that we use to describe why we do what we do in level two relationships. If you understand level two relationships, you understand everything about codependency and all the dynamics that we create and and the push-pull and like all of it is completely described by level two relationships because we create so many terms to describe like symptoms, but when you understand the core of how the relationship is unfolding, everything makes sense. So a level two relationship, and if you really want to find out about this and become really good at understanding yourself and others and creating healthier relationships, as soon as we tell you that we have a date for the next Falling in Love workshop, we'll let you know and you can go through it because in the workshop, you actually walk out of the workshop not only with information, it's not only an information-based workshop, there are exercises and you walk out with, you walk out with lists of what you need to be aware of that are specifically, well, they were created by you. So, so they're like tailor-made for you you and by you. Now, uh, a level two relationship is what most people are in. And, and it's, it's, tra- it's trauma compatibility. But when we say trauma compatibility, most people assume that what we're talking about is, oh, you felt lonely as a kid. Oh, I did too. We're a match made in heaven. We wish it, that was, it, it were that simple. Because if it were like that, it would be very easy to fix. But it's, where, it's way more complex than that. So uh, to, to give you an example, it has to do with understanding first one individual as trauma and personality. Like uh, this has nothing to do with biotype. The biotype really helps us understand why they created that personality and what specifically the trauma is. But once you understand the trauma and the personality, you understand that the personality was actually created as an accessory of the trauma. This is why we have phrases in Spanish and probably in English too. In Spanish, we say, because we have a saying for everything in Spanish, as Brian says. And the, the saying that we use a lot is, dime de que presumes y te diré de que careces, which would mean something like, tell me what you're bragging about, and I know exactly what you're lacking. Uh, because we usually brag yes. of what we're lacking. <laughs> that is so true. It is true. And that, the reason so why... <laughs> the, the the reason why why that applies so much is because usually my personality is created as the response to my trauma and my pain to never go through it again and to never have people see me in that way again. So if I felt like I was extremely poor, I will create a personality that wants to be successful and and has money and creates like so so many things. But um, the the interesting fact would be this: once I understand my trauma and my personality, uh, to give you an example, maybe my specific trauma is is a belief that I created really early on, like telling myself something like um, people are not reliable. Uh, they will never be there when I need them. Uh, they're, they're selfish and, and get used to it. If I have that type of trauma, I will create a personality that thrives with people like that. So if I'm with someone who's not reliable, I'm going to feel kind of in my comfort zone. So I need to create a personality that can live through life and relationship with someone that that acts like that. So I'm comfortable about around people that, that are not trustworthy and that will never take a risk for me. So what type of personality do I need to create in order to keep that trauma and, and pretend like that doesn't hurt me? What personality would I create, Ross or Brian? Brian. Were you Ross, not paying attention? I, I zoned out. I'm sorry. I, I've been practicing my card tricks. I, <laughs> I knew you were not paying attention. That's why I stopped and asked you a question. I was getting ready to figure out which me. the next question was going to be. What were you? What were you thinking about? 
to uh, actually Lorena, Lorena has an answer. Who asked the question in the first place? Lorena says someone flaky. Who is my old math teacher? <laughs> Calling us out, man. But also, uh, Charlie the, taught me this. Which this, spies uh, just told me in Instagram? Yes, controlling. Stop the card tricks. I'm finishing something. So, <laughs> so which spies told me controlling? That would be a possibility. Um, or it would be, for example, extremely independent. Someone that never needs anyone. Because I, I already know that I can't trust them. But, but I'm still holding on to that pain. And I created a personality that allows me to survive in the world that my ego tells me exists. I think I'm going the really answer, deep in the this The answer one. I'd get would, would be rigorous. It like, could be. Yeah, it would be. I would double, triple check everything. I would follow up yes. with everybody. Like, and I, I know this because this exists in my world. Like, I I would send text messages. Like, let's say I made plans with somebody. Like, an hour before, I'd probably send them a text message that says, are we still on? Uh, like, are we still good yeah. for noon? Or something like that. Because I'm used to, or there's a world that I live in in which... Uh, I could show up and someone would have forgotten about our thing. They would have been unreliable yeah. in keeping the plans. So for people to really understand this, the, the easiest explanation between trauma and personality I can give you is trauma is how you create the belief of what you really think the world is, what you really think men are or women are. And then personality is nothing but the defense mechanism that you create, given that you already decided that the world is this way. So if I already decided that the world is not trustworthy, I probably create a personality of being independent, not needing them, and enjoying whatever they give me because I already decided that they will never bring me something that's worthwhile and they will never do something for me that's important. So I create a personality that says, I don't need you, not on purpose, just because I really decided that the world is kind of dangerous in this way. Then Trauma compatibility would be looking for someone that has a personality and way of, of acting that validates my trauma. So we use those superficial masks that people wear, their personalities, to validate our trauma that, that reinforces our personality. And if I then find someone who can use my personality to validate their own trauma, that's how level two relationships, which are the main type of relationship in the world today, are, are formed. So to finish the example... I feel like that people are unreliable. My dad was never there. My mom was never there. That was extremely painful. I decided something about the world and I created a personality that has created some sort of success for me because I feel independent, powerful, and I don't rely on people. Then I probably meet someone that has a very braggy, promotory personality because they probably have trauma about not being good enough. Then they have this trauma of not being good enough because... My family always told me that I wasn't what they expected. I never felt the approval that I that I needed growing up. So I created this very promotory, promotory out there, risk-taking, reckless personality because that gives me the approval that I didn't get from my parents. But I still have the trauma of not being good enough, which is the negative motivation that has my personality do all this crazy stuff when I'm in front of people constantly. Then... That reckless human being will be fun to be with for the independent human being, just talking about personalities. But when the independent human being actually needs the reckless human being, the reckless human being is never going to be there in the way the independent human being needs it, which validates the trauma of that first person by saying, see, I can never rely on people. I'm always alone. And I'm not even hurt by it. Even though my pain is growing behind my mask, I'm not even hurt by it 
like I'm pretending I'm not because I'm so independent. So the independent successful mask becomes thicker and, and more powerful because you validated the trauma. And then this person is so independent that they act like they don't really need the reckless human being, which will pro will probably validate the, the worthless not being good enough trauma, which will make them be a little bit more reckless and outgoing because their motivation for being reckless and outgoing is feeling not good enough. And if this person doesn't need me, it means that I'm not good enough. So I need to be more loud, promotory and reckless. And we will stay in this relationship for probably 10, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, validating each other's trauma and, and, and making the negative motivation for our personalities and our masks even bigger. And that's like five years of couples therapy in a nutshell. This is a big question that is very common. Brenna asks, can you shift to level three in the same relationship you started as a level one or two? Yes, but you know, you both need to be willing. And usually what I see in relationships is that one of you is so ready, like been working on yourself like crazy to go into level three. And the other person is like holding on to their personality, their trauma on their mask in crazy ways because they're sure that... They don't, they don't really understand their trauma. They don't know where to go. And they're sure that your movement will make you not want them anymore. That's why usually when someone is transcending, getting woke, learning new things, other people want to make them angry uh, and dismiss what they're doing. Because if I get you angry, that means that you still love me, that you still care about me. And maybe I can drag you down into, into the old like relationship type. So both need to be both need to be willing and working on yourselves and knowing that you're not working for the relationship. You're working for you. You're working for the individual that you are, no matter if this relationship carries on or not. You're going to need these tools forever because if, if you don't know how to create a relationship with this one in an authentic way, what makes you think that you will be able to do that with the next one? Or do you just want the next one to be as dark and broken as this one? So when both know that they're doing this for themselves and for their lives and just sharing it with their relationship, relationship, they transcend into a level three. And it's actually beautiful to see. It, it's, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things to witness because you see two human beings transforming and creating a bond at an authentic level when they don't act like they need each other or like the other one can hurt them. They act like they're sharing their individuality in a beautiful way. I, I think this next question is about, oh, Brian, did you want to reflect on that? I had kind of a follow-up question to that, which I feel like a lot of people on listening to us might uh, relate to, which is now that I've started just, I don't know, this podcast <laughs> and just being a part of everything, and I all I want to think about is like how relationships work, and it's really interesting to me to kind of like pick it apart from the inside. Part of me thinks that like the partner I find, it's going to have to be someone like as intrigued by this as I am, because I'm just, I'm so, it's so interesting to me. And it seems to be so important to, you know, it's the most important thing you do in your life. Why not like have all eyes on it and like, you know, be constantly questioning it and trying to understand it. So if you are a person that's like, you know, probably most of our patrons and people listening are these people, is it good to find someone who like you is as interested in like being as, um, you know, present with, a relationship and what's happening and what both people need and how it works? Or is it good to find someone who's like not really into it? So you're not just both like analyzing it all the time. Does that make this a lot of is, sense? This is such a fucking good question. Um, so that's actually, I believe, and this is not psychology or anything. This is just my theory. 
um, yeah. a biotype theory. But I was dying to say that. But um, what, what I want to say is because of the structure in which we are creating relationships and we have for the past probably 50, 100 years, we feel like we need to share many things uh, about uh, like I need to share many things with the person that I'm with so that our interests are the same. And I agree with how, for example, Kabbalah sees it and, and how they understand it, that we need to share objective is one of the three big things that according to Kabbalah, you need to share with someone to create a relationship. But but they say the direction. It's, it's direction, speed and stage. Okay. And if you want to go, if you want to know about that, we have an episode where I went really deep into it. But um, what Ross what, wasn't listening. <laughs> of course he wasn't, <laughs> but, but I feel like we have this misconception of, of needing to be interested in the same things. And the only reason why that would be a problem, like not having the same interests or having someone that doesn't like biotypes and, and doesn't really like psychology being in a relationship with you, um, that would be relevant only if you're in a, in a level one or a level two relationship. Uh, because then you're trying to create common ground because you feel like you need something from this person and this person feels like they need something from you in order to be comfortable within the relationship. But the truth is that when you're creating a relationship from freedom, as, as I was explaining just now, like um, when you're in a relationship where you know that you're working on yourself because it's you, because you're going to need this forever in life. And the other person as a, is at that same level. I think that's the only thing that you need to share because the interest about like specific topics and specific things becomes extremely secondary and just like something that enriches the relationship. Uh, so um, I don't cook. I hate the kitchen, uh, but my wife is an amazing cook. Did she need me to be a cook? No, she just needed me to enjoy the, the fact that she was bringing this into the relationship. But there has and, to be an appreciation for the other's interest or at least a respect of it. Yes, that's why he said the only thing that you do need to share is an interest in growing yourself and knowing that everything you need comes from within. Because then you can enjoy and be interested. Because if you're against, it's because you're afraid of something. If you're against, it's because you think that this person needs to give you something so that you feel okay. But if you're both free individuals that enjoy bringing certain things to life but don't need to be right about it. Like, I never sat down with my wife and told her, if you're not interested in biotypes, we're, we're done with this. But now I know a lot of things about cooking and now she knows a lot of things about psychology and biotypes and it's not necessary we just enjoy that we bring it because we're not asking the other person to become something so that we feel a certain way that's so a I'm, relationship I'm going to combine a, a couple of things here because uh, my yep. brain is now going to how people can use this to validate their shitty abusive relationships of oh. um, well this sucks but I'm going to try and make this a level three relationship you know like so Lorena mm. asked a yeah, question. Yeah, it's not an excuse. No, and and I think people will definitely use it for that. Of like, well, we're we're working towards level three, or like, I'm I'm trying to reach enlightenment. So, but but it's just an excuse to kind of stay in a, a level two relationship that isn't working. Um, so the question that I see here is, how do you know when it's time to end things? And this answer will come on our Patreon. So if you want to go to rgpdevelopment.com, nope, if you want to go to patreon.com slash rgpdevelopment, you can hear the full 
episode of this episode as well as many others. And if you even want to come and join us live on the Zoom calls and ask these questions, there are levels for that as well. So the question that you are going to get the answer to on the full version of this episode is, how do you know when it's time to end things in a relationship? Want more Biotypical? Well, good news. There's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash rgpdevelopment. There, you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it, and we'll see you next time.